All right, everybody, welcome uh, Eternal Leadership Podcast. And uh, let me guys ask you, and let me ask y'all a question. Who grew up in a home that was just unbelievably functional? You had amazing role models from your mom and dad your entire <laughs> life. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I think I grew up in a home that I would classify as maybe normally dysfunctional because not everything uh, went very well. And here's what I found is, you know, as I was growing up and Donna and I, we've married 34 years, you know, started having our, our kids and they come home and, you know, the first two, three years, it's really about just managing, you know, managing the kids. But all of a sudden, then they actually start to develop curiosity in intellect and they start speaking. And all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, it's really about developing this relationship and creating this foundation with this beautiful, small human, and then they grow into their personalities and life comes at them from social media to what's happening to them in sports and girls and boys. And, and then, yeah, I have an 18 year old son right now. And here's something we've also noticed with all of our kids as they move toward, he's a, he's a senior in high school. And as they move into this phase and they know they're basically about to be completely on their own, there's like this period of pulling away and this young man who we've had a great relationship with all of a sudden becomes, it becomes confrontational and difficult and challenging in a way that it hasn't before. And we've had some real challenges with some of our other kids, as you guys know, going through the accident. And I have always worked so hard on becoming a better person myself in order to one of my big drivers was I wanted to have a lifelong, healthy relationship with my kids. Because I, I think there's a couple of phases as a parent. First one is when our kids are really young, right? And we're, and we're just helping them meet their needs. And then through the high school years, what we're really doing is working with our kids to mentor, to disciple, to parent into creating a foundation. And here's what I'm finding is it's when we have adult kids, I believe is when our parenting almost becomes even more important because now we're parenting an independent adult who we have a friendship with, but they're also making some of the biggest decisions mm -hmm. of their lives. It could have long-term consequences. And here's the question is, how do we lay the foundation? How do we take the guesswork out of being a great mom or a great dad? How do we communicate with our kids in today's world with all the influences? In that, um, mm -hmm. I asked one of my very good friends, Miles Mettler, to come on the podcast. Miles, welcome, first of all. Thanks, John. Great to be on. Oh, it's so great to have you here. Miles and I have been in a Pinnacle Forum uh, group and Bible study for, I don't know, what has it been now? Two, three years, I think, Miles? Probably three, been, yeah, probably three. Three years, and I was, you know, uh, there as he was sharing all of us, all the hard work he was putting into writing this book. And, you know, along the way, though, Miles, you would share uh, pictures and talk about what was going on with in your marriage and with your kids. And I just always was just inspired that, hey, I could I could have that. Like you kind of you mm. set the bar, which I so mm. appreciate because, you know, there's times as a parent, you're just frustrated, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I'm sure I'm sure you've experienced that. So a little background. You know, after college, you went, you got your doctoral in, um, what was it, uh, the behavior, psych, was it behavior psychology? Yeah, basically behavior change was the, was the primary uh, emphasis of the degree I got. 
Yeah. So behavioral change, you work in the office of the president of Focus on the Family right down the street from mm-hmm. me here in Colorado Springs. You taught at William Jessup University. You're a certified uh, life and business coach, a strength facilitator, certified self-talk trainer. I love that. That's something I've been working on my kids with. And um, mm. But also, you guys can also check out uh, a really good blog at milesmetler.com, M-I-L-E-S-M-E-T-T-L-E-R.com. But the book that you wrote, and you gave it to me to, to write uh, part of the uh, an endorsement, which I was happy to after I read it, is 52 Parenting Principles. Man, this is just written in such a digestible way. You can jump around mm. and like, okay, that's the thing I got to work on with my daughter or my son today. And your tagline is how to bring out the best in your kids. Mm. And I was telling you before we hit record, though, it seems to me, though, to bring out the best in our kids, you have some really foundational principles about who we need to be as parents that allow applying a lot of this to work well. And maybe uh, you, you, maybe you can talk about what that is. Like, what, yeah. what is that foundational piece that allows us to be the best version of parents that we can be? Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, like you said, the subtitle of the book is How to Bring Out the Best in Your Kids. And really throughout the book, it's, it's how do we bring out the best in ourselves so that we can bring out the best in our kids? If it was a subtitle of how do we bring out the best in ourselves, I don't know if that would have had the appeal. But what we all want, we want the best for our kids. I mean, I don't, I don't know any parents who grow up and have kids and don't want what's best for their kids. The challenge is, how do we do that? And uh, you know, I think uh, one of the early chapters is, in order to do that, we have to accept 100% responsibility. It's a key concept that goes throughout the whole book, that if we don't like how the relationship is right now with our kids, we can either blame our kids, or we can look inward and look what can I do differently? How can I show up differently? Why may I have been the cause of this problem? And, you know, none of us like to think we're the cause of problems. But what I've learned through parenting is if I don't first look internally, look at myself and how I can change, I'm going to continually be frustrated with the experience and uh, what I'm trying to do and work on with our kids. Because otherwise, we see them as a problem to be fixed, and nobody likes to see themselves that way. If we come across in the wrong way, if we look at them and uh, don't approach them, if our tone of voice isn't right, if we're not choosing our words carefully, we're creating this pattern. And that pattern sets up with you how you did this intro so beautifully is what we want to do is create a long-term healthy relationship with our kids while we're bringing them up and preparing them for life. And so that's really uh, what I want to encourage and, and what I've tried to do throughout the book. Well, yeah. And, you know, when you're talking about what you're really talking about is personal responsibility. And mm-hmm. in addition to maybe seeing your kids as a problem to be fixed, you also might get to a place of, you know what, this is now just a problem to be managed. And I can't even, and I've been there with some of my boys where I'm just frustrated with them. The interactions are never good. It's always an argument. And I had to ask mm-hmm. myself, okay, what if I actually had my, my, I guess my go-to miles was this is them and, and I have to do something to change them. And then I asked myself a question one day is, is there anything that I'm doing that's actually contributing to this dynamic? Yeah, because we have to own how we think about our kids, 
Mm-hmm. When they do something that triggers an emotion, guess what? That emotion of anger or frustration or joy or whatever it is, is a choice that we're making. Although we're not aware, always aware of it, it could be a habit like to maybe go to frustration. And mm-hmm. it's out of that place of emotion, we choose an action. If I'm frustrated and I mm-hmm. roll my eyes and my son sees me roll my eyes, you know what? Do you think I am allowing an environment where he's going to be in the best place so we can actually create a conversation? That's not going to happen. So good point there. How do we, but I think it does start with personal responsibility. Like yeah. as a quick example, Miles, I was constantly arguing with my son and we finally had a call moment and we're talking about chores and how we interacted. And I said to him, cause you talk about this also as a principal in your book, ask for feedback. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, Michael, what do I need to do? I mean, these have to get done. He goes, well, dad, and he got all upset. He kind of got up in my face. He goes, dad, I hate when you come up and demand stuff from me, like to do it right now. And you have this urgency because I know when people do that to you, I see you get all bent. Mm. I'm like, wow. Well, A, thanks for the, I had to like pause for a sec, Miles, but I'm like, you know what? You're right. And if I walked up to my son on the couch and he's in the middle of watching a baseball game, I'd say, go do the kitchen now. Yeah. Of, I would push back. Yeah. And all of a sudden I realized a lot of these things that lead to these blowups and then a day or two of being awkward, yeah. it was me. And then yeah. I had to go to my son and actually apologize for showing up that way and say, how do we want to do this? The chores have to get done and then give him permission to hold me accountable to what we just mm-hmm. agreed to. That was a little bit humbling, but mm-hmm. it opened up a whole new dynamic in our relationship. And conflict went down, right? Oh yeah. I, I it didn't go away, but it went down right. significantly. Right, right. Well, you just covered, I mean, one of the chapters in the book is called Ask Permission, which sounds counterintuitive from a parent, but that's exactly what you're describing. And then another one is, is uh, Fess Up When You Mess Up, which you went to your son and apologized. Again, as parents, we see ourselves sometimes as the authoritarian figure and that we can dictate behavior, but we can't do that. If we're not working to establish the groundwork and lay the foundational principles that go into healthy relationships, we're always going to be in this source of conflict. And, you know, I I think you're right when you alluded to it initially, is that our kids right now are facing things that we'd never faced growing up, the the social and cultural influences that they're experiencing are pulling them away from the authority that we have as parents. So as I was writing this book and and got more towards the last uh, couple of years of putting the finishing touches on it, really during COVID, what I realized was that there's more significance in the book than what I thought originally, which was just a kind of a how-to guide for parents to walk through this parenting journey it's become more apparent to me, and I think you would agree, that our, our kids are in a spiritual battle. There, there, there's, there's a war out there for the hearts and minds and souls of our kids that are trying to pull them away. And we know that family and maintaining healthy families, intact families, is the thing that one thing that we can do to weather the storms of the cultural war that we're in right now. And that's really what I hope the book takes on new significance, that if we really want to prepare our kids for what they're going to face and are facing, it's really up to us as parents to lay that foundation and and establish those relationships that we can then continue on as they do get into adulthood. Because as you're learning, parenting never stops. Yeah, that's very true. But uh, something you said, I'm, you know, the spiritual battle. Um, 
I, I think, you know, a lot of the kids today, are they're really drawn to music and playlists that if you listen to the words, they're just, mm. I mean, they're, they're negative. Uh, they reinforce, I think, poor self-images. They're full of comparison. I think comparing yourself to others and you get mm-hmm. into that mindset is an absolute performance killer. It doesn't matter whether somebody's in the, in the play or in music or in athletics. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting, Miles, because my son, one of my sons was really frustrated with some things going on in their life. And I, I call it stinking thinking, right? They'd really gotten into this loop that they just weren't good enough. Mm. And here's what I see that as. I think it's like this self-reinforcing lie that the enemy can use, especially against our kids. And then it gets reinforced with a lot of the influences around them. And so the other day, you know, um, my, my son said, I, I, dad, I just don't think I'm good enough. Mm. I'm like, wow, interesting. First of all, and this is a place of just listening and curiosity instead of giving mm-hmm. a lecture. And I said, hey, what would good enough look like? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's like, well, uh, I'm like, would it be like if you did this here in Colorado? What if you did this at a national level? What if you did this in professional sports would that would one of those tell you that you're finally now good enough and none of those hit the bar and what i real i said you know to my son i said do you realize that you've fallen into this loop that just slowly erodes your ability to do the things god has planned to you because right. all the enemy has to do is just sideline you a little bit right and i said would you be willing to uh, you know work on some of that with me it was asking permission mm-hmm. again mm-hmm and he said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where his mom had been really listening and just said, hey, mm. you know, um, son, all the music that you listen to. So instead of condemning the music, she said, I loved what she said. Does it reinforce who you want to be and move you, uh, you know, motivate you toward your goals? Or do you think it might be planting some seeds of doubt that are holding you back? now that you've kind of gotten to this place Mm. and, you know, thank goodness. I mean, this was a good outcome. He goes, yeah, I actually think this stuff is kind of, you know, it sounds good, right? He likes Mm -hmm. the beat. And Donna said, well, what if you just turn the radio off half the time or just switch Mm -hmm. to praise music? And he's like, no, I'm not a praise music guy. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Switch to something else then that's positive. And he he actually has done that the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And there we've already seen a huge change in his attitude. Now, in that, here's a question for you, because this is something I've struggled with. Listen, we got to learn how to listen better. Listening from a place of deep curiosity, not a place from judgment. But that also means that we need to pull our child out of the world that they're in from Mm -hmm. right six inches in front of them looking at their phone or the TV or whatever, and get them to start talking and engage in conversation so that we can listen and start asking questions. And what advice do you have on how to get to a place where the, you're actually having the dialogues with your kids that you missed when they were younger? Yeah, that's yeah, a great question. And what, what you just demonstrated there in that previous example was just some great um, coaching tips for parents to listen to. And I would encourage the listeners to go back and replay this last couple minutes of what you just described there. Because you and your wife could have told your son, quit listening to that music, right? You could have told him what to do. Right. 
Well, nobody likes to be told what to do. I don't care what our ages are. We don't like to be told what to do. And so what you did there is you asked a question. Especially as a kid, because then you feel uh, wrong. Like mom and dad said, no, I'm, I'm wrong and I'm not good enough. Like it all feeds into that narrative, right? Exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and so the last thing you want to do, you want them to come to the conclusion. You want them to come up with the, with the decision, even if it's not the right one, at least it's their decision and they take more ownership of that. If they're the one that came up with it versus mom, I'm doing it because mom or, mom or dad told me to do it. Now, there are times, obviously, when they're in danger and there's things that we have to do to protect our kids. But by in general, we want to, we want to stimulate their thinking. We want to get them to think about what's going on in their own lives. And you also, you know, the self-talk that he was having right there, this comparison that he was having, you know, that's a trap that we can all fall into. It's, it's estimated that about 77% of the messages that we get or give to ourselves are negative, unless we're, we become aware of that. And um, so I, I think, you know, that coaching model that you're talking about is really what I want people to take away from the book is how do we come alongside our kids and coach them? So going to your question, it's like, we have to know ourselves and we have to know our, our son or daughter. And when are those opportunities where we know when their guards are going to be down and we can approach them? One of the ways that I found is when we're riding in a car, right? I'm driving, my son or daughter is sitting beside me. They may or may you know, be paying attention or not. But when you're not necessarily face-to-face with your son or daughter, but side-by-side and you're, you're out driving somewhere, you casually engage in some conversation. And see where that conversation leads, but have an intent and a purpose for that. It may be when you're uh, cooking together in the kitchen. It may be when you're out playing golf. What are those environments that we can create where we know that our son or daughter are going to be in a more relaxed state and can lead to some of those more meaningful discussions? And we have to allow that for ourselves as well. If we're not creating our days around when our kids are receptive, then we're missing out on opportunities. And we always have to be ready to engage. Sometimes, you know, I might be laying in bed. I can remember several instances. I was laying in bed and my son or daughter came in and that was the time that they wanted to talk. The last thing I wanted to do was to get out of bed and have a conversation. But it's not about me. It's about recognizing and being aware of where are they at at that moment of time and being willing to step outside of where I'm at and have that engagement. Yeah, I know. I I have found myself a couple times miles, right? Shame on me. I'm sitting there on the couch. My laptop's out because mm-hmm. home and work and everything's all blended together. And I got a deadline and Matthew, you know, come sits on the couch. This happened the other day. And he, he was in a very talkative mood. He wanted to share and talk. And I wanted to get this thing done. And I'm sitting there trying to multitask. And I, and I finally said to my, in my own head, I'm like, you know, what kind of message am I sending right now? Mm-hmm. And I had to like actively reach over and close the laptop, which is not what I wanted to do in the moment. Then I had to yep. ask myself, how did work drift into being more important than the relationship with my, my kids? Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of a wake up call. And then another thing, you, you reminded me of this. Uh, one of my sons, younger in teenage years, they loved really complex strategy games on the Xbox. And they mm. would do it for, you know, hours. And we had a certain amount of screen time that they could have. Here's what I found, though. If I sat down and he didn't, he was hard to engage in conversation. Mm-hmm. But if I sat down next to him and I said, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Hey, what is that thing there? Hey, what did you just do? All of a sudden, he loved to share what he was doing and how in all of his strategy. Mm-hmm. And you know what that led to? 
then we started talking about important things because mm-hmm. it, it, it started yeah. the kind of the conversational momentum. Yeah, that's it. There's actually a chapter, I think it's called Seek to Engage, where it's we enter into their world. And you can do that at whatever age your kids are at. You got young kids that are playing with Legos. How often do we as parents set aside what we're doing, or even better, plan to do this, where we say, hey, can I do that with you? Whether it's playing a video game, whether it's playing Legos, whether they're outside shooting hoops, whatever it is, just enter into whatever they're doing. Again, ask permission to do it. Say, hey, I'd love, I've got 10 minutes. Maybe you have to set a boundary. Maybe it's 15 minutes or I have five minutes. Hey, I've got five minutes to, to engage in this with you. It doesn't have to be what your favorite thing is to do. It has to be something that they're doing. That speaks volumes into their heart that you, and you may not even like what they're doing. But you know, when you step into the world, it creates those opportunities for you to have that experience that you're talking about. Yes. And okay, now... What do we do for those kids that we have, son or daughter, where it's, it is, it just feels hard. There's, it always seems to blow up. I can't figure out what's wrong. Like, you know, they're not completely down the road to being a prodigal, but I know our relationship is Mm -hmm. on a scale of one to 10. It's like, feels like it's a three. What do you do where, where it almost feels like the relationship between the parent and your child is either almost in crisis or really is Mm. in crisis from a relationship perspective. Where do you start? Well, you know, that takes me back a little bit to, you know, I started writing this book in 2009. Okay. That was kind of where I made my initial list of just things that I thought we should work on as parents. And I didn't really have the intention of creating 52 principles and turning this into a book, you know, 12 years later. And that's where it ended up. But prior to that, when I was in the health and fitness industry, this is in the mid to late 80s, early 90s. One of the things I, I, I did when I was in that role was I had the opportunity to work with a lot of business guys, a lot of CEOs, business leaders who had spent their, you know, a lot of their life building their careers and building their work world and neglecting their health. So now it was time, you know what? They recognize that they're out of shape. They're they need to get back in shape. So I would start working with these guys on basically health issues. And when you work with someone in that environment, they begin to trust you and they let their guard down and you can start peeling the layers back. And what I was seeing over and over again was that these business leaders who had spent their life building their their work world, really their relationships in their marriages and especially with their kids was really not good. And I, I kept seeing this pattern and I determined you know, at that point that no amount of success in the business or work world will make up for a failure at home. Cause I saw the price that these guys were paying. And it goes to the question that you're asking is if that's been the case, how do we rebuild that? And it's really about rebuilding a foundation of trust. What has happened in that relationship that as you look at it right now, has led to where things are. And that comes back again to, you know, what I would tell these guys is, um, what your health status that you have right now is largely a result of the choices that you've made up to this point in your life. And the health status that you're going to have 10, 20, 30 years from now is largely going to be a result of the choices that you make between now and the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. The same thing is true with relationship. I have to first look at where things are right now. And 
you know, we kind of earlier mentioned that my training was in kind of behavior change. So if you look at a behavior change model, there's really kind of three primary steps. And the first one is awareness. And even though I don't specifically talk about it in the book, that's really what's woven throughout the book are these three steps is how do we become aware? We, we can't make any changes if we're not first aware of what's going on. The second step is now that I'm aware, what's the change? What's those small steps that I can make? What are those little foundational things that I can do in this relationship with my son or daughter that's going to lay a, 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 a level of trust where they don't see me as a judge, where I'm not judging them, I'm accepting them at, as who they are, but allowing them to know that I have their best interests that at heart, that I am for them, and that I want what's best for them. And then the third step, the third step in that behavior change process is creating a supportive environment. How do we then create the environment that's going to build what it is we want? Let's bring this into kind of an application. So awareness, I do not have, let's say I have a really bad relationship with my son. And I see it as their fault, right? They have a bad attitude. They, they're not grateful for what they have. They, Mm. right. They're not responsible. I'm actually just thinking of a good friend of mine who grew up with a single mom Mm. and his entire worldview was, you know what? Mom is working so hard for everything that we get provided. I'm going to serve her out of just this deep heart of gratitude. You know, that's kind of how he, you know, that, that's the, what he's bringing into the parenting relationship. Now, he has a child that he does not feel uh, like any of that is represented. Like mm. the, he almost sees this like uh, attitude of entitlement. He goes, I don't know where that came from. There's no gratitude. Everything is a battle to get them to do something. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about it, I said, you know, you know, here's what he does, but what do you do? And is there anything in there that's contributing to it? Mm-hmm. But what you're also talking about, if you have the awareness and you're also making some changes, trying to facilitate some changes, maybe in your son or daughter. But I'm also saying, you know what? And the hard part is, guess what? We have to look in the mirror and make some changes in ourselves mm-hmm. too, because I know for myself, especially after my traumatic brain injury, I would react with anger Mm. um, or frustration or sarcasm, like cutting sarcasm. Um, I didn't have a lot of social filters and it did a lot of damage, but you know, in that one, I almost feel like I'm stuck though. Right. Kind of right. Awareness, a small step. And what was the third step? A supportive environment in a supportive environment. So if I'm a dad who has a bad relationship with my daughter, how do I, how do I create, you yeah. know, that supportive environment? Yeah. Well, every kid's different, right? And so part of it is knowing ourselves and we have to know our, our kids as well. And, you know, you kind of did this earlier. I would say that one place to start, and this necessarily isn't the only place, but is that you just go to, go to them and you say, you know what, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I recognize. This is how I'm feeling about where we're at right now. And if there are specific things that you can point out that you know cause that, definitely do that. That's, it goes back again, fess up, you know, fess up when you mess up. And kids will receive that. I mean, versus it, saying, here's what you do that makes me feel oh, this way. You're actually oh, owning it saying here. Oh, so you're doing both. No. Yeah. I mean, you, it's all on you. This is how I feel. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm sensing. You're not pointing out anything that they're doing, right? That's causing you to feel that way because we're responsible for that. 
again, right? Mm-hmm. But then what you do is you lay out, regardless of where things are right now, this is where I want things to be. What's that vision, right? Mm-hmm. And so if motivation is lacking, it's usually a result of lack of vision. And so how do you create a shared vision? Because you're, you're, regardless of how frustrating our kids can be, innately, they want to please us. And we can never lose sight of that, no matter what. And when we do things that shame or criticize our kids, and if that's done repeatedly, and if they feel like they're a problem that needs to be fixed, and they don't do anything right, they don't stop loving us, they stop loving themselves. And say that again, that was powerful. So when we come across to our kids that we're judging them, that they never do anything right, that we're shaming, condemning, blaming them, and if that's done repeatedly and continually, they don't stop loving us. They stop loving themselves. And so you've got a different foundation from which to work if that's damage that has been done. And obviously kids mess up. They're going to make mistakes, but we can never lose the belief that we have in them. They want us to believe in them, no matter how much they've messed up. It's not easy, right? Because they can do really stupid things. And so how do we shepherd them through that? And it I goes did back stupid again. Things. I did stupid <laughs> things, right? Did I mean I did stupid things? And did I want my parents, even though I lied to my parents, even though I did all these things, and I probably had a great reason in my own mind for doing that? Did I still want them to believe in me, to trust me? Of course I did. Didn't matter how many times. I still wanted that from my parents. You know, there's a piece of awareness in there though that I think is really something we need to focus on. Is I might say. And really believe in my heart that I love my, my kids unconditionally, you know, that they don't always do the best things, but they are the best person, right? They don't always do, you know, make the, you know, good choices, but they are good people. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem though. My language, my tone of voice, my body language, how I react in a certain situation can come across in a way that what they hear is, Instead of, hey, that was a bad choice, you're a bad person. Yes. It can be unintended. And I yes. think as parents, we have to be really cognizant and aware. And this is where I think your spouse, my Donna, we talk mm-hmm. about it. Like, I'll go up to her after an interaction and say, hey, how do you think that came across? Yeah. And she'd be like, yeah, I think you need to give it 10 minutes and you need to go down and probably, you know, kind of, you know, reset some things with, you know, after that conversation. Yeah. Like, Whoa, really? Yeah. But well, tone, I, is, tone is so critical. I mean, I really believe that in the conflicts that we are experiencing, 10% of the conflict is due to whatever the situation is, and 90% is due to our tone of voice. It's just that how we come across and, what, and, and how we say what we say is almost more important than what it is we're saying. Yeah, you know what, that old... Uh there's uh, something we teach in our leadership courses. When you actually, when you're face to face, the amount of communication, how your brain, your mm. brain is so sophisticated. Look at hundred percent of our communication and 7% is the words and 55% is our tone of voice. And 38% of how our brain interprets the message is our body language. Now think about that. 93% mm of what our children are, how they're processing this communication is not the words that we're choosing. Mm-hmm. It's how we're saying them, what we say, our tone, our language. And, and right there 
is an opportunity for some huge improvements. And you know what I've had, I've had to, let's say like I asked my son to do dishes, right? He promises to do it. And the next morning the, the sink is full of dishes. So instead of getting all ticked off and going and saying, you know, go, you know, you, you weren't a person of your word. I actually have to think through it and know that I need to show up as the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. I need to hold them accountable. We have to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. There has to be consequences for mm-hmm. not doing things, which is now he gets dishes for the next two days, which you know, good mm-hmm. for me because we alternate. Right. Right. If I showed up angry or upset or frustrated, it's not going to be a productive conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and you, you're pointing out a really good principle is that between stimulus and response, we have the ability to choose. We're, we're unlike any other creature on, on, on the planet. We have that ability when something is triggering whatever it is in us. We have to recognize that we can either react instantly or we can respond in a manner that we choose. Now, that is a high level of self-awareness, and it's a trained skill that we have to become good at. But we have that ability. We don't have to instantly lash out. We don't have to instantly respond. We can pause, take a breath, and choose the response that's going to lead to a better outcome. And um, that's kind of what you're demonstrating in that example. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we do unintentionally. And as a part of the communication chain, it should never be the responsibility of the listener to try to decipher what it is we really mean. That's the ability of the person that's doing the talking, that's doing the explaining, that's doing the talking of whatever the situation is about to use the tone that you're describing, because we can say the right thing, but if we come across in a manner that isn't going to be received well, then that's, again, on us. That's our responsibility to change that and become aware of it. And what you did with asking Donna, hey, how did how'd that sound to you? Sometimes we don't hear, hear things the way that they really are. So asking for that third party to interject is, is sometimes a really great strategy. Well, yeah, like, like, you know, sometimes I'm so unaware, which I'm pretty good at being clueless, Miles. <laughs> yeah. Like, you Amen. know, I'm looking at, you know, my kids and I'm like, oh, man, that I thought I was doing that really good listening, coaching, and they just like, like that didn't work out. I look over Don, mm-hmm. like what, like what happened? She's like, uh, well, can I share it with you? Like, there you go. And she's like, yeah, when you said this, I could see how he, I'm like, oh, you got a point, mm-hmm. but you know what? It's those little things. You got to keep working on it. But folks, I got to tell you this book, 52 parenting principles. You have broken this down. It's so actionable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how to know yourself. I'm just going to read some of these chapters because, you know, we sure. don't have time to go through all this. I wish we did. Know yourself, observe yourself, end with okay, and avoid telling. I'm just telling you, that right there, folks, is a master class on how to, what Miles has done in here is taken a life of learning how to coach and be present and ask questions in a way that creates constructive relationship and dialogue and laid it out in principles that are easy to engage. And I got to tell you, Miles, having been a coach now for the last decade mm. for me, bringing that coaching into my relationship with my kids, I, I, I tell you right now, all three of my boys are probably some of my best friends. Mm. It, it was my dream when I was younger to have the kind of relationship with my kids today that I have, because that's not the relationship I had with my parents. And Donna, if she was here, she would tell you this, like her 
the family she grew up in, how she's always kind of operated in the world, asking questions versus giving advice for her is really, really challenging. And, we, and we've been working on it because she's seen how it's and So the more that she's been working on it, it's just improved things. But guys, how to set boundaries, how to celebrate wins, how to be a role model, how to how to do discipline well, right? Discipline is not a punishment. Discipline is about mm. modifying the behavior of our children to get a better result, to equip them, right? To disciple them, to uh, empower them, mm-hmm. right? It's not about retribution, but how do you think about that? Uh, keep your promises, write love letters, love that chapter. So guys, it's milesmetler.com. The book is 52 Parenting Principles, how to bring out the best in your kids because- Folks, we're going to be here a long time. Mm. And, you know, if, if you, you know, if you're 60s and you're 70s listening to this, you could read this book and go, hey, how do I how do I have a better relationship with my 40 and 50 year old? Right. If you're a 40 mm-hmm. year old parent, you're like, OK, I got kids that are, you know, close to becoming empty nesters. Right. How do I lay that foundation? So I'm, I'm in positive influence in their life. And so important right now, because I really believe we have a generation this was the prayer that Miles and I had before we started. There is a generation in danger of being disconnected from their faith, mm-hmm. from healthy relationships with their mom and dad, from healthy relationships with their siblings. And if you don't have those, it's really hard to go out in the world and then create healthy relationships on your own. I mean, what we are you know, launching our kids out into the world, the foundation that we're laying is so meaningful and God can work with that in a powerful way. So, you know, with that, as we kind of wrap up, uh, Miles, I'd love for mm-hmm. you to just share any final thoughts for the, the parents, the grandparents, the mm-hmm. soon to be parents out there listening. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, John, so much for having, having me on. And, and I really hope that this gets out into the world. And, uh, you know, my intent was that as I saw, we were having, you know, a positive impact on our kids. I figured that, if some of the things that we're doing are contributing to that, then it was worth my time in putting those thoughts on paper and expanding the thoughts. And like you said, you know, I read a lot of parenting books and a lot of them were really long and I got a lot out of a lot of them, but there was a lot of things in there that as a busy, you know, parent, you don't have time to read. And what do we know about people reading books is most people don't finish the books that they start. And so that's was kind of the concept behind the book is how can I create kind of go-to principles that people can apply and understand and like, you know, pick a chapter, you can read through the whole book and go back and pick out one chapter. If you want, you can, you can do 52, you can do one a week and just focus on one thing a week throughout the year. However it works for you, that was kind of the intent behind the book. And I really think that as much as it is about uh, changing their behavior, it's really about shaping their hearts and seeing our heart, right? Because the relationship that our kids are going to have with our heavenly father is especially as dads, it's really going to be shaped in a large extent by what they see in us. You know, if we want our kids to be compassionate and caring and loving and kind, those are the qualities that they need to see in us. How can we expect them to exhibit traits and characteristics that we're not exhibiting ourselves? And, um, you know, I think what we believe about ourselves what we believe about people, what we believe about life, what we believe about our kids is going to shape how we approach uh, a parenting. And so I would just encourage people to just step back, 
go through uh, some of the things that are in the book and ask, how does it apply to me? Take ownership of it. And your kids are going to see a difference. Some of these things that you were talking about in, in changing of tone, your kids are going to, if they don't tell you that initially, internally, they're going to see a difference. And over time, when they can trust that, we'll see changes that are going to benefit us and them. My final thought here is I think one of the, and you just, you just mentioned it. I think one of the biggest things that was transformational in my relationship with my kids was in every one of those moments, right? That awareness, understanding what to do next, really creating that environment. Holy Spirit, God wants us to have those healthy relationships. And my litmus test, not from a place of succeed or fail, but hey, what did I learn and how can I do better? So I hope you guys hear me there was the fruit of the Holy Spirit represented in that interaction, mm-hmm. right? If I can show my kids unconditional love, mm-hmm. if I can be joyful, especially internally, knowing that, you know, all things really do work together for good, right? Like, even if, you know, my kids make a big mistake, right? And it's hard. And some of this, you know, we've been through some hard times. But if mm-hmm. I can be peaceful, I can be patient, I can be kind, I can be generous with my time and my love and my resources to the extent that's relevant. I can be gentle. I can have self-control. Think about that. Everything that we want to probably be like, if you think of like the model of the most amazing parent ever, right? It's represented right there in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I think that as you pray, Holy Spirit is there. He wants to partner with you. He wants to bring in all of that to flourish in the relationship and that has been huge. And I fail at it often, Miles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but in that, when I, when I fail, you know what, I, I'm going back to God and saying, okay, what happened there? How, where did that come from? Why did I have that reaction? That's not what I want. And he keeps revealing more about not only, not who I see in the mirror, but who he sees when he looks at me, he sees mm. the best version of me without judgment, without condemnation. Yeah, I can go into the next one or I can go and with humility, go apologize to my kid. And it doesn't feel like, you know, like I'm losing authority or stature or standing. I actually think I'm gaining it because the humility is coming from the right place. It's not a false humility to try to manipulate, which, you know, some of the people skills can be used for. Mm -hmm. No, that's very well said. You know, I think that that's why that how we what we think about God, how, how well we know God, what we know that God sees in us and believes in us is going to be part of that, of what shapes our parenting. And so we got to have, and the only way that I know you do that is by spending time going through the scriptures. What, what does the Bible say? What do we see in Jesus? If you read John, if you read the, read the first four gospels, I mean, it's like we can learn through that experience, how God has shaped us, what he believes in us, that there is no condemnation. If we don't feel like we're under condemnation, then we're not going to lay that on our kids either. And so we just, you know, it's where that, what I heard you say before was, I never really envisioned that I'd have the relationship that I do with my kids now, but that's what what you wanted. You had that vision, Mm -hmm. that was something, and you were willing to put in the work. You had to be intentional about it. this. Did I know from hearing your story when you went through your accident and you were saying things you didn't mean? You had some recovery to do. You had some groundwork that you had to go back and recover. But you had that vision of what you wanted things to be like, and you were willing to put in the time, effort, and energy without 
without striving to be perfect. But if you don't have that vision of where you want things to be, it's going to be hard to get there. Yeah, I love that. And you know what? Share that vision with your kids. And if it's so damaged right now, they're just dismissive of it. Don't let that trigger you. That means, guess what? You have some, because that happened to me. I said, you know what? We've gotten here and it's, I I need to own that. And you know what? I'm going to put in the work to build the trust. So maybe three months, six months, 12 months, it might take until we actually start actually having some better conversations. And it, what didn't happen overnight. So in these, when we're talking Mm -hmm. about relational dynamics and change, these are things that take time. So also give yourself permission, you know, to maybe have a bad day, but also know that this could be weeks or months of Mm -hmm. really putting in the effort before you maybe start to see the fruits of what you're trying to sow. Yeah. And, you know, if it doesn't meet your expectations, the reality is that we can't let the love that we have for our kids diminish. They need to know no matter what, that we love them. Well, Miles, this has been awesome. Um, Folks, plug into what Miles is doing. Every one of us, I know that we can just take our relationship with our kids, move it from a two to a four, move it from a eight to a nine and a half. But let's all just focus on what is that vision? Let's just make it short term, everybody out there, right? Mm -hmm. What would just think about that on a scale of one, 10, 10 being Mm -hmm. like, they are your best friend. Number one being you guys can't stand each other, wherever you put it right now. What does a plus one or two look like for you? And what would that do for you personally? What do you think that would do for your kids? And start thinking about what is a vision? Like, how would you know you got a little bit better? And start thinking about that. Because I really think with some hard work over the next three to six months, Mm -hmm. on that relationship scale, you can go up a plus one or a plus two, right? And then when you get there, you're going to have a lot. You're going to have some momentum, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, you might have a couple setbacks. It could be three forward, two back, or it doesn't matter, but you're going in the right direction. And with that, folks, I would love to see healthy families, healthy marriages, healthy kids, because you know what? You got a life to live together, and God is moving big time right now, and he is calling us to partner with him. And this is why this. there's so many levels and dimensions of why this is, is should be uh, an urgent and critical focus, I think, in all of our lives as parents. All right. With that, Miles, man, keep rocking. Keep knocking them alive, my friend. And you are welcome back anytime. Appreciate it, John. Thanks so much. <laughs>